After the loss of her parents, her brother Pietro, and her lover Vision, Wanda Maximoff reached her breaking point. Retreating to the town of Westview, New Jersey, the grief-stricken Avenger constructs a false sitcom-inspired reality with the town's citizens as its supporting cast. Today, we dive into Marvel's WandaVision. I'm Brandon Kessley, and this is Nerdcraft Nation. Welcome back to Nerdcraft Nation. I'm your host for this episode, Brandon Kessley. And with me, I have Austin Hall. Hello! Jose Lopez. Hey, hey, hey! And Chris Walker. Hey, hey! As well as our special guests, returning Shiva Nagarajan. Thanks for having me back after I successfully predicted this entire show on this podcast in 2019. Stay humble, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And introducing, for the first time, special guest Sabrina Clark. Hey, everyone! Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining. And today, we are going to be discussing Marvel Studios' WandaVision their first Disney Plus exclusive TV show. We're going to talk about the general thoughts on the show, so we're going to go around the room. Sabrina, let's start with you. What were your thoughts on WandaVision? I think I would say, overall, I did really enjoy it. It was a sort of welcome deviation from what we've usually seen with Marvel, and especially as it pertains to their Marvel Netflix properties. Those shows tended to be a little bit darker, or with Iron Fist, we don't talk about that. So it was nice to see them attempt to bring a more serious plotline in a different way and in a different tone. I think it really held up when contrasting kind of the world inside the TV show and outside in the Westview anomaly. But truthfully, I think a lot of the character development was hugely lacking. It seemed like the writers wanted to make the fans really happy and in doing so sort of compromised a lot of majorly important foundational types of structure that go along with telling a story of this magnitude. And so it felt like ultimately, you know, they wanted to head in a specific direction or Feige told them where they should be going with this and ended up compromising on a lot to get there. But overall, pretty enjoyable. So do you feel that they kind of just shot straight for the actual plot line, didn't really focus on the characters? Is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, it felt like in the beginning they were trying to set up a lot of the characters, all of them, and then realized they only had nine episodes and had to start cutting corners to make the main plot make sense. Gotcha. All right. Thank you, Serena. Austin, how about you? The show suffers from the same thing that a lot of the Marvel shows are going to be suffering with going forward, and that is we had Endgame, which was this huge movie, and how do we go from here? I think a lot of people had pretty high expectations. This is the first Disney Plus Marvel show, and... It is coming off of Endgame and then Spider-Man and how Spider-Man ended, which was crazy with everyone now knowing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. If this show came during the Netflix show era, I don't think we'd be judging it as harshly. It's just a show. We haven't seen a Marvel movie now in a while because of COVID and we forget that TV shows are just a little bit different. 
you know, I mean, Wanda hasn't even had a solo movie. So Wanda is not a big character at this point. And, you know, I wasn't expecting much. You know, I enjoyed it because I didn't have high expectations. I didn't have low ones, but I didn't have high ones. And I guess I was a little confused, like when people were saying the series finale was bad online. I mean, concluded the story. I don't know what else you wanted. So Classic Marvel finale. Yeah, it's okay. It's an okay show. And it's okay that it's an okay show. You got a huge beam shooting up at the sky and people running out everywhere so and flying we got lots of and flying yep shiva let's hear from you what were your thoughts on wandavision especially as you stated earlier you having predicted the show two years ago <laughs> Yeah, so what I predicted generally did happen, being that Wanda was going to be going through the stages of grief, create a fake vision, deal with the consequences. That aspect of it definitely came true. Overall, I loved the show. I would say that in terms of the finale, I liked it rather than loving it. That doesn't mean I really hated it either, you know? I would say I mostly loved seeing the relationship between Wanda and Vision. They're one of the only couples where we really didn't get to see their relationship very much throughout the movies. Like some of the other couples, like we really see the relationship develop, like Tony and Pepper, for example. But with Wanda, and Vision, we never really see their relationship develop. We first see them starting to develop feelings when Vision makes a paper cash for Wanda in Civil War, but then they fight on opposite sides against each other in Civil War. And the next time we see them at the beginning of Infinity War in Edinburgh, they've already been together for a while. So we never really got to see that in-between period when they really got together. So just from that yeah. standpoint, it was nice, especially in episodes one, two, and three. Even though it was just those silly, fluffy sitcom episodes, it was kind of nice to see that relationship together. I liked how they managed to mix situations that would only happen with Wanda or Vision, like Vision getting gum stuck inside him, making him act drunk, or when Wanda's water broke, everyone's pipes burst. Those are weird, unique MCU situations that would never actually happen in a sitcom from the 60s or 70s, but they managed to mix those, I guess, character quirks, you could call them, that Wanda and Vision have with the type of humor from those decades, and they made it work and made it funny, so I really liked to see their relationship together. Again, in episode 9, right before Vision and the kids have to die, that was a really touching moment. So overall, the biggest reason I loved the show was their relationship and different aspects of their relationship affected every single episode. But in terms of dislikes, just to quickly mention those, it's actually not the fan theories. I know fan theories and how they didn't come true was a big problem for people, but it wasn't really a big problem for me, to be honest. The biggest problem for me was the two villains, Hayward and Harkness, and how neither one of them I thought was developed. In fact, to me, it felt like in both of their cases, most of the time they were used was just to show exposition to the audience instead of an action that makes sense for that character to take. So Agatha is looking at Wanda's flashbacks in episode eight. I guess technically she's trying to figure out how did Wanda bring back Vision or technically in episode nine, she's trying to free the townspeople to show Wanda what she's doing to the townspeople. But really both of those actions, I didn't think made sense for Agatha's character to take. It really felt like Schaefer and Shackman are like, let's use Agatha in these situations to show the audience Wanda's flashbacks or show the audience what Wanda's doing to the townspeople. And then Tyler Hayward, so many of his actions make no sense. Falsifying the video to show that Wanda stole Vision, that makes no sense to me. It's a sword sanctioned project to bring back White Vision. All these sword people are there in episode eight when he brings back white vision it's not some kind of secret so why would he have to falsify this video just so that we the audience get confused and think wanda did it i guess another time he sends darcy jimmy and monica away he doesn't send anybody else away not even the other scientists that darcy came in with it makes no sense for him to do that but shackman and schaefer just want the three of them to be in a room together to set up the next scene why does he give white vision the directive to kill the vision just so they can <laughs> shove that vision versus white vision fight scene in the finale and then why does he shoot the kids just so they can have that monica scene so every action Tyler Hayward was taking was just to have some sort of scene they wanted to show without making his own internal logic consistent, in my opinion, from one action to another. There are also a couple times I thought they're potentially setting up Tyler and Agatha working together, but it just seemed like they set up a bunch of stuff in that Agatha all along 
song. And they never came back to some of those reasons, like why is Agatha sitting in the director's chair or why does Kate know about the alias? So it just leaves a bunch of unanswered questions. So overall, those two villains is what dragged the show down for me. But don't get me wrong, definitely loved it more than I was pissed off by these two villains. That's completely fair. And bring up really solid points. Thank you, Shiva. You brought up a lot of really good points. Jose, what are you about you? What are your thoughts? So overall, I enjoyed the show a lot. wouldn't say I loved it, but I really liked it. I thought we got the most character development from Wanda and Vision, which made sense since they're the two title characters. But at the same time, that kind of sacrificed the character development for like everybody else. As Shiva pointed, Agatha and Director Dick were just kind of there to be bad, but no real rhyme or reason as to why. It's just because the good guys need somebody to punch, basically. Like the Agatha all along song was pretty catchy and very nice, but she wasn't really behind anything all along. She just kind of like stumbled in because she wanted to figure out what Wanda was doing and how she was able to control the powers. Like, yeah, she killed Sparky, which is like the most evil thing she did on the show, and then brought in fake Pietro to like get the inside scoop on Wanda. But other than that, yeah, it really was Wanda all along that she's the one who's manipulating reality and controlling all these people against their will. Overall, I thought the show had some high highs and some low lows. Like, I think the dialogues between Wanda and Vision were probably the best. The line about what is grief if not love persevering, that was quality line right there. That's an Emmy winner right there. But then for every good line like that, you have something like Ralph Boner. It's like, oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> Boner. Ah, God. Yeah. So some highs and lows. The sitcom aspect of it in the first three episodes took me a while to like get through. I felt like it was like a chore getting through those. But then once we got to episode four is when things really started ramping up. It was like, oh, OK, now we get a bigger sense of the mystery at large, because in the first three episodes, it mainly just seemed like it was 98 percent sitcom. And then the two percent when something weird happens. But it wasn't enough for me to be like, oh, this really has to be hooked. Just like, OK, I know something's coming. I have no idea what just something in the horizon is going to happen. But in the end, yeah, I think the fan theories might have hyped me up a little too much. But once we didn't get those no big cameos, it's like, oh, this is the story. There's no big hidden mystery behind it all. It's just a story about a woman processing her grief and sort of dealing through those emotions to mainly just set up some stuff that will probably pay off in the Doctor Strange sequel. So overall, liked it, but it could have been stronger in a few. Excellent points. Yeah. And actually, going back to something Shiva said earlier, Shiva, you actually got me to kind of appreciate a bit more of those little sitcom aspects, like you mentioned, the character quirks and how that humor worked in. Good. I'm glad I did. I'll be honest with you. Even though I did say I liked those episodes, which I definitely did, I agree with the take that it's, you know, not your typical MCU fair, and especially the first time you're watching it without knowing what's happening. It's like, this doesn't even feel like MCU, but I actually watched the show back after the finale, and I feel like I appreciate those episodes more the second time, so maybe it's more of be kind of being frustrated the first time that it doesn't seem like anything's happening, but if you're watching the second time, you already know what's going to happen, so you can actually appreciate those moments a little more, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But they got the aspects for Bewitched correct, like all yeah. the like little yeah. effects and all the like, even the aspect ratio, and I'm going to get into that a little bit later is perfect for that size of television that you're watching that on at that yeah. time too and even yeah. now in reruns like if you watch a rerun of bewitched right now and you would have it adjusted to like hd it doesn't hit the same it looks a little ridiculous in my opinion that's fair actually so chris you are up next so what were your thoughts on the show i thought this was a good show i thought the use of different television shows in order to convey what's moving through wanda's like mind at the same time was really cool but i also
also felt like the show was never going to stick the landing because that entire ninth episode feels really rushed. Although the eighth episode is way more important going forward because it sets up a lot of what's going on in her mind and how she came to be and how the grief is like moving through her. This is Elizabeth Olsen's second like show just dealing with grief as a theme. And honestly, she's amazing in this. Like I flat out really felt her emotions every scene and just want to root for her the entire time. She is now the best actor in her family so you know easy bar 100%. but uh, I enjoyed it though I grew up watching like Bewitched watching all these old time sitcoms and seeing it the MCU use that to adapt themes was really good the entire Agatha thing that Shavad brought up I just did not find her to be as compelling a villain like the entire idea that she was just there so she was trying to engineer stuff like what was her motivation at the end of the day Yeah. like Hayward wanted to make a weapon out of white vision but like was hers just to become the Scarlet Witch and then do something with that? Yeah, I guess just to absorb Wanda's powers. Was she trying to get on demon time? Like She was like, um, Wanda, it appears that you don't know what the hell you're doing with what you have, so why don't you give it here? And that's kind of like, okay, that's not really a villain to me. Yeah, that's yeah. just like generic villain motives. I want the thing that the good guy has. That's yeah. just trying to make a come up. Yeah, it's like Wonder Woman 84 all over again. <laughs> exactly. That was really weird just to watch. And Catherine Hahn is an amazing actress. Like, she's one of the best character actors on television and in the movies but I felt like this was kind of a waste of having her around I thought Deanna Paris was kind of underutilized but like also this was a good way to introduce her character her character made me more curious about something that we get in Falcon and the Winter Soldier I thought we were going to get in the most recent Spider-Man movie that was out in 2019 how do people feel about people that disappeared during the blip yeah because mm-hmm. there's clearly some level of resentment but it's kind of weird to treat people who forcibly disappeared like they ran away yeah it's a very weird dynamic going on there i think it's an interesting theme to watch going forward and just to close up paul bettany had me dying the entire episode where he's drunk because of gum stuck in his gears i was rolling on the ground i was like this man is acting his ass off right (laughs) yeah that was absolutely hilarious that was incredible his troll that comes true in the ninth episode is perfect also true that felt like a dad joke to me yeah but that's how it landed yeah ultimate dad joke i can fall benny <laughs> i love a good dad joke so it worked out for me i've never worked with this actor before <laughs> it's just me in the mirror chris any final thoughts I, I don't got anything else that's fair yeah i don't think i have too much more to add i enjoyed wanda and vision it's kind of tough in a lot of ways it feels like vision is both a main and supporting character because the story is really about wanda because like vision's dead so you're really going through you know wanda's constructed reality and getting to see what her ideal scenario of happiness is in a healthy family and just her basically rebuilding everything she'd lost and so i thought that was a very interesting character study it kind of reminded me not as aggressively or roughly but the way that the live action teen titan series was a bit of a character study on dick grayson and his transition to nightwing but i think that they handled this a little bit better albeit i do agree with the lack of development for other characters that has been brought up and the way that they kind of just rushed the ending i do think that they admitted that partially due to covid they actually had to cut a 10th episode and so that might be why some of it seemed rushed because they did actually have another episode planned which would have included 
included a little bit more screen time for Tiana Paris as Monica Rambeau. And I think that they still should have done it. But overall, I did enjoy it. I thought the main characters were good. I thought the supporting characters were pretty good for the ones that we got screen time for. They might not necessarily have been developed, but when they were on screen, they were always fun. You know, Jimmy Woo coming back from Ant-Man and the Wasp and finally mastering the card trick was fun. It was nice to see Darcy level up. I mean, she went from intern to scientist. Yeah, like, got so her PhD. Actually, yeah. yeah, Dr. Darcy Lewis, right? Like she actually did stuff behind the scenes, like for real, for real. I thought Agatha slash Agnes was fun before the reveal. Like she was just a nice, funny character who pops in every episode. So like, even though you know that she's going to have a bigger role, her little bits before being a villain was really fun. I thought Catherine Hahn was very good. Elizabeth Olsen was fantastic. And I really feel like she carried the show. Like her range, she really got to flex here. And it was very nice to see. And it was also just nice from like a comic standpoint to finally see House of M adapted, but without the incest. Without you know? the, forgot about that. Yeah, Marvel did too. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like mixing House of M, I think they mixed it with the Tom King Vision series, the miniseries that they had in 2015, yeah. I think. Is that the so one like where Vision has a full family and they're yeah. in like a yep. random town? I know he yeah. definitely has a dog named Sparky in that run. Yep. So that's where they got that from. Okay, that makes sense. Speaking of Sparky, despite me thinking that Agatha, like her actions don't really show a logical consistency and, you know, each action she takes connects to her actual motivations. I actually think the whole Sparky thing is the second time actually is one of the few times when it seems like there's a lot of logical motivation going on. When she kills it, you can tell in the scene wherever, like, the kids are, like, asking their mom to bring it back to life and Wanda's like, what the hell are you talking about? I can't do that. That's, like, one moment when Agnes actually goes out of character and says, you can do that? Like, you can bring things back to life? And I'm, like, 99% sure that entire episode was for Agatha to basically test Wanda and see whether she could bring something back to life. That was, like, the entire purpose of that. So I actually was fine with that arc, despite not being fine with a lot of other Agatha. That makes sense, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Like, all right, hey, she brought Bishop back. How? And can she do it again? And that's where Sparky was kind of, like, the hook to see if she bites. Yeah. So, like, first there's Sparky, and then there's Pietro. Pietro, I should say. <laughs> yep. The things I didn't like, I think we've already talked about it. The slow burn aspect, I did appreciate, and Shiva also reminded me and gave me a greater appreciation for the little sitcom character quirks that they had and, you know, the amount of thought that they put into mimicking the various eras of the sitcoms that they were parodying. But it did kind of feel like it dragged on. And I know that TV is different, but this was also a show that's kind of supposed to have one underarching narrative. And to really get to that narrative four episodes into a nine episode series, it makes it drag. And so, you know, you already lost like a third of your screen time to just telling jokes in aesthetics. Yep. Yeah, but like, then like, the yeah, question like, becomes, do you move that reveal up or do you make the reveal in the first episode and then you just keep playing the episodes out, but then you like creakly show the real world and you're like, hey, this is weird. What's going on here? And then you gradually like broach into the real world more so and more so. I think the latter is what they thought they were doing, but it yeah. didn't really come across in a way that was as effective as it could have been. You know, having the helicopter land and then having one of the sword agents come up and he's now a beekeeper. All those things were just like almost psychological thrillery type elements that just felt like genres being played against each other instead of clues yeah. to yeah. a world breaking down. Just some Twilight Zone yeah. hints here and there. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess I can't say that they were trying to mimic Lovecraft Country or Watchmen, but those could have been models and templates that they could have gone for for shows that are really short. But like for Watchmen, I mean, Watchmen was a nine episode series that was told in three, three episode arcs. Like for this one, they're telling one continuous narrative. They started with the sitcom stuff and then they dove head first into like what's happening into the 
the real world. We get those little clues, like you all said, about being sprinkled throughout. But it's really just focusing more so on the fact that they're in this sitcom reality. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get like that fantastic opening in episode four with the blip stuff and with Monica coming back and all that to just kind of catch us back up. That was a really cool moment and really cool episode. Yeah. But yeah, the slow burn nature, the red herrings. I kind of want to say that they're red herrings instead of fan speculation. You know, the writers might have done what they did in a almost like a Ryan Johnson kind of way where it's like subverting the expectations oh, because they God. know fans are going to speculate. But you can it, call it, it trolling. But yeah, the writers did kind of troll in a lot of ways because like they knew that people were going to be looking this up. That's really the only reason that the Agatha All Long song even exists, if we're yeah. being honest. Like, But also the Ralph Boner entire Fietro, that's a big fat yeah. troll because they could have gotten a, yeah. anyone else to play him. They could have brought Aaron Taylor Johnson back, but they knew what they were doing yeah. by having yeah. us look at Evan Peters and be like, damn, they really could do something with X-Men. Well, actually, yeah. if you think about it, they could have only pulled off that troll if it had been either Evan Peters or Aaron Taylor Johnson. Had right. been any yeah. other actor that was playing a fake Quicksilver, we would have known, like, yo, who the fuck is this dude? I don't know who this is. This is clearly a fake Peter. This is Mephisto. Mephisto. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mephisto? Oh, Mephisto. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like the troll wouldn't have worked if they had gotten literally anybody else. Yeah. At the end of the day, like his existence was just a roundabout dick joke. I hate that. I really, really hate that. Like I get it. You were a child actor and you've been in Hollywood your whole life. Blah, 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 blah. Like no one gives a shit about your dick jokes. Just tell the story. Yeah. On the Ralph Boner thing, I feel like the best thing that we can compare it to in terms of being a multiverse tease that ended up being fake or multiverse troll, I guess, is Far From yeah. Home had a multiverse yes. troll where we thought yeah. Mysterio yeah. from another universe and everything. But guess what? Even though it was a multiverse troll, it was not just a dick joke, right? right. Forget about the dick joke aspect. Yeah. It wasn't just nothing. The plot still made sense in a yeah. different direction, even though it wasn't a actual multiverse. So the biggest problem with this, according to me, is not even just the dick joke part. It's the fact that it meant nothing in the end. You can literally cut mm-hmm. out Fietro, period. I mean, I guess in episode six, the Halloween episode, he kind of gets wanted to open up a little bit, but frankly, there's no payoff of the actual problem. So I think feel like you can do a multiverse troll with payoff. I will be pissed if, you know, let's say Maguire, Dunst, and Garl appear in no way home and then all three of them are planner characters instead of their sony characters you know that would be a huge <laughs> yeah it honestly would be like three different properties just doing that it wouldn't be funny it would just be like yo you guys are kind of just playing with house money and shitting the bad yeah yeah like you would have thought they would learn from iron man 3 but apparently yeah. man shaman was a big fan of the mandarin reveal it's like oh buddy did you not get the memo that people didn't like that <laughs> right <Did> that <laughs> was a big red flag to me i yeah. was like i'm sorry what Marvel literally had to retcon it immediately after in the DVD extracts with the one shot, All Hail the King. Oh, and then yeah. now And then now we have Mandarin being the villain in the Shang-Chi yeah, movie. exactly. They really had to like, oh, we fucked up bad. And yeah, I think I saw top three like MCU trolls that people did not like. It was this, the boner thing, Mandarin. And then I think I saw how Nick Fury lost his eye in Captain Marvel. Yep, that's true. Especially um, because when you have a line like, last time I trusted somebody, I lost an eye. And then it was that scene. I was and like, yeah, hey. it was a fucking cat he trusted. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Felt like something that they forgot about. It's like, oh shit, we need to have Fury lose his eye. It's like, uh, just have the cat scratch him. It'll be fine. It'll, it'll be funny. You guys, you guys, why don't we have Samuel L. Jackson in an eye patch for this entire movie? Uh, what? We didn't give him an eye. You guys, Come on, come on. We gotta fix this. We gotta fix this real quick. The same like cats. He loves cats. All right, write it in. He likes cats in the color purple. Like, I'll be honest with this boner thing. This might be the first time, even despite those other trolls. 
It's only the first time that I'm surprised a storyline passed Kevin Feige's desk. I'm just kind of shocked when I think about it. It's Kevin Feige signed off on this. Like, it's just unbelievable to me, actually. That's fair. Monica's aerospace engineer. It was like another red herring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's, it's like, even if it's not the fan speculation, just like Shiva has said, there's no real payoff for any of the stuff that they set up. Yeah. Right. I think that's so one of the biggest like, problems yeah. with the red herring here. Like, a lot of things that J.J. Abrams does, too. You set up yeah. a mystery box. If there's no good payoff at the end, it's like you feel like you've been let on. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the weak villains. Captain Harm was great. Agatha was just kind of there. Had a bop of a theme song. You know, had some great moments in power usage, but mm. no real motivation. And then Hayward was just there. I mean, the whole Hayward thing, like Shiva already said, it just doesn't make sense. Like, what was the point of him tracking the fake vision if he already had the real vision's body? Right. The whole time. Like, well, they couldn't get it to work. So they needed, like, some sort of power source. And they were like, oh, Wanda can power this. But, like, yeah. how do you know Wanda can power it? Like, that's yeah too many plot holes that they couldn't fill you know yeah, yeah. and didn't white vision have like a mini arc reactor in place yeah. of the mind stone yeah, yeah. And they're going yeah. so, so like, what's the point of Wanda needing, needing Wanda like, yeah guess they couldn't get it up but I'm glad that they at least resolved that in a way that didn't break character yeah like have you heard of the ship of Theseus yeah, the ship of Theseus, you know, while it was like, hey, I didn't think about that, but just them having a dialogue as opposed to it being resolved with fists just made sense and stayed in character. It's, it's almost the same way that he and Ultron ended. Like, sure, he definitely blew up Ultron, but like they had a philosophical discussion beforehand. I'm glad that that didn't break character. Anyways, moving on. What was everyone's favorite moment? Who were their favorite characters? And let's start with Shiva. Okay, favorite character, definitely Darcy. You know, she was like Jane Foster's sidekick so Jane Foster leaves the freaking universe how the hell is her sidekick gonna reappear but I'm glad she reappeared now Natalie Portman's coming back who knows whether Darcy would appear in something like Thor Love and Thunder but regardless of what she appears in next I really hope she does appear in something again I think Kat Dennings does a great job playing that role and I think like it's just uh, kind of provides the comic relief really well actually in a lot of scenes especially in the dynamic between her Jimmy and Monica I feel like Monica was the most serious Jimmy's kind of in the middle and Darcy was like providing the comic relief so I really like that dynamic and I do think it was a little bit of a missed opportunity whenever she went into the hex for them not to, you know, bring back her character from Two Broke Girls. But, I mean, obviously not. That was not going to happen. That's a different company's property. But, you know, given that she was originally famous for a sitcom, that, that would have been kind of funny. But anyway, so I actually had this theory that Maybe the Luke tier cameo is going to be her boyfriend from the Dark World, but that did not happen. So, <laughs> on the uh, favorite moment, at the beginning of episode four with the Monica situation, I feel like what made that scene so effective was not just what was happening, but just so mind blowing to see everyone reappearing again. The fact that, first of all, it was a cold open. All the other episodes start on the Marvel theme and the Marvel logo, that big intro, but this one actually started off with that cold open before getting to that Marvel intro. So, it was like, I didn't even realize the episode was starting already. Like, and on top of that, like, first 10 seconds, you don't really get what's going on. So, they just did that. A great way so i would say that's probably my favorite moment that's fair it's a powerful episode and powerful cold open chris how about you i really enjoyed seeing more vision and just watching paul bettany act i don't think i've watched him outside of the mcu at all if anybody has any good recommendations please pass them my way it was really just enjoyable to see that character just go through like becoming a parent and being a husband and he's very robotic but it just like it played well and i also really enjoyed seeing tommy and billy as actual characters and just like like 
warping their age up all of a sudden just playing it that off and clearly they're gonna down the line do something with those characters and make adding them for a young avengers hint 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 but you know beggars can't be choosers and all that bullshit one of my favorite things though was the playing with the aspect ratio which they constantly changed when they were in the hex and they were going through the different television eras so like when it was the episode that was based off of malcolm in the middle it was a little more modern instead of having like a four by three in the couple of the previous ones and the modern family one was more multi-camera but when you're out of the hex you're going into a more widescreen film style of of a shot and when you see monica rambeau going into the hex like pushing her way through into that reality you're actually seeing the aspect ratio pull itself out more and the constant changes and like the little details like that were really impressive to see going on i liked all the episodes mainly the same the fourth episode i liked a lot i didn't enjoy everybody being like finally this is paying off because that just felt due at some point but an explanation of where monica rambo was during the blip the fact that she was actually disappeared and that she was supposed to be running sword by this point she was watching her mom die and she's dealing with grief too that was really a great touch and yeah. i gotta say i really enjoyed seeing kat dennings do something that was not two broke girls so yeah. yeah good for her sabrina yeah i have quite a few favorite moments actually that hospital scene is really special because i care a lot about the way the world is working in the midst of all this chaos you know i had a really large soft spot for agents of shield before it went left so i love seeing those kinds of things a more like practical tangible understanding of how the avengers actions really affect the world around them but another scene that really kind of sticks out in my mind is when vision is trying to break through the boundary and he's starting to almost like dissipate and one of the twins can sense him and gets wanda's attention and she stops everything and moves the boundary I felt like there was no moment until that point when we really had a clear either appreciation or understanding of Wanda's real actions or involvement with this entire hex anomaly situation. Up until that point, it was kind of just, is she, isn't she? What's going on here? Why are things a little weird? What's the real story? And then you kind of find out that, oh, wait, she does have control here and she can choose to accept the reality that Vision is no longer with her, but she chooses to not and to create this world for herself so that she can actually live the world that she thought she could have seen herself living. And I guess overall, character development wise, like Wanda's probably the best written character. And I mean, I guess that's the whole aim of the game. So it makes sense. But I also have a large appreciation for Monica Rambeau, not only because Tiana Paris is the most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life, but it's also because she comes in as somebody who we'd only seen as a child and we loved her as a kid. And then you know, she's grown up and she is presumably incredibly active in this world because that's how she was raised. And then we see how the blip has affected even her. And it's really cool to see her jump back in and get back to her job. That's really nice. I feel like that is probably not the case for most people who disappeared in the blip, but it was cool to be able to see her do that and continue to develop as an agent, really. I call her Detective Monica Rambo because she was really putting these pieces together at an amazing rate. I love her. And she is really powerful. And I think that's super cool. It doesn't make sense how she magically can understand how her powers work, but it doesn't make sense either for Wanda. But I mean, that's just kind of how they did 
it. And I would love a one shot of just Monica and Ralph. That was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, they did have some pretty, some pretty funny moments. When he stuck up on her, it was like, Snooper's gonna snoop. I was like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, they kept playing with the Evan Peters X-Men style of Quicksilver with that. Austin, how about you? Favorite moments? Favorite character? I liked the concept of the different time periods of TV shows. I think it would have been better if it were only spread out all over a few episodes or there was less of them. Having an entire episode of each one to me got old pretty fast because I was waiting for the other shoe to drop the whole time. I did like seeing more of Vision and seeing ironically more of his humanity and the fact that there was a multifaceted aspect of this being who doesn't even know who they are and yet finds their way in the universe so that those probably my favorite moments got you any favorite characters or was it really vision yeah vision uh, anytime vision was in the scene i was interested because i knew something important was going to happen whenever vision wasn't in the scene outside of at the end when agatha is revealed with wanda i wasn't as interested Gotcha. Jose? So I guess for me, favorite moment I think would have to be the flashback scene with Wanda and Vision when the Avengers Tower when we get the grief, if not love, persevering line. I thought that was a really powerful moment and let us explore Wanda and Vision's relationship, how it started to blossom. Because I think as Shiva pointed out, we'd never really see how that relationship even got going. We just saw them like, oh, in the beginning phase and then in Infinity War, they've already been together for a few years, I think. So it was like we kind of skipped the middle part of where they actually fell for each other. It's like, oh yeah, this woman just fell for her sentient vibrator, and then that's that. <laughs> Did you say sentient vibrator? Yeah, isn't he basically what he is? Oh my god. In terms of like favorite characters, Wanda, I think, was definitely the one that, as was established, she got the most character development on the show. Liz Olsen knocked it out of the park. Her range from going from like sitcom mom from the 50s to now to her normal self, she really has some range, man. And yeah, like Chris said, best actress in her family, so good for her. Especially acting alongside Paul Bettany and how we saw the behind the scenes of what he actually looked like without the CGI kicked in. He looked like a reject from the Blue Man group. I was like, oh, damn. You have to pretend to be in love with that guy? Wow. Give that woman all the Emmys, man. <laughs> she really pulled it off. And then I guess my other favorite character was Evan Peters back as Pietro, which hurt more once we got that Ralph Lauren. He was like, oh, damn. You had something really special. You got the cool Quicksilver back. Because, yeah, don't yeah. get me wrong. Aaron Taylor Johnson was fine. But, like, Evan Peters really stood out in the X-Men movies he was in. He was really good in those. And to see him back at it in here was great. So I'm kind of hoping that I think, Shaval, we talked about this sort of ongoing theory that maybe Ralph Boner is the guy in witness protection that Jimmy Woo was talking about that we never found out about. So I'm hoping that that is the case. But I'm not going to hold my breath if it doesn't happen. We got Evan Peters back as Quicksilver even for a little bit. So that's good enough. But... But yeah, would have loved if that character stuck around more. And we got Quicksilver back in the MCU. Yeah, to that point, Jose, I actually heard this interview with Matt Shackman where on most of the questions that he was asked, he kept either kind of uh, deflecting or kind of saying, no, that's it. There's nothing else there. You're reading in too much to it or whatever. Interestingly, on the Jimmy Woo's missing persons question, are we ever going to find out who that is or is that just a throwaway line or whatever? He did kind of hint that like there's still something potentially there in terms of that question might be 
be answered at some point in the future of the MCU. So considering that he was kind of deflecting on all the other questions and he kind of did not on that one, I wouldn't be surprised that that Jimmy Woo question is, is still was an actual relevant line and may come back up at some point. Yeah. And like with the other mixed three boxes that we got in this show, I hope it has a satisfying payoff and not just another dud. Honestly, they got like two things that they can answer that in. They could answer it in the Doctor Strange movie that's coming out because I feel like this is a hot take or this is just a theory that they're going to probably have to go back to Westview at some point and deal with Agatha and maybe he's going to be there too and they're going to have to deal with that or it's going to be in the next Ant-Man movie. Yeah, that's true. Because Randall Park is probably like already set up to like be in that next one too. Probably. Agreed. Before we get into speculation, I I guess my favorite moment, I do kind of have two, but they've already both been mentioned. The blip moment when Monica comes back was very powerful and that scene with Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen when they were back at the Avengers compound in I want to say episode 8 that whole episode entirely I just love that episode I know that parts of it might seem rushed but overall I thought that was the best episode in the series I know that you know there's a lot of joking around like oh my god they put one good line in the MCU and everyone fawns but like I think just especially the timing of the release and for personal reasons that whole like love persevering line really just hit me harder than I expected it to yeah I dig it I can go for it I was taken aback and it's like oh shit I did not expect this from an MCU property but that is cinema Marty yeah. <laughs> Literally we, said after hearing that line, y'all are all just gonna be on top of this shit so hard, and it's gonna make the internet unbearable for like the next week and a half. And goddamn, do I hate being right sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, rightfully so, because we've come a long way from that's America's ass. So <laughs> been two years, been two good years. Yeah, yeah. Yo, hold on, that line is circled back through though. Yes, it has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before we get into ratings, do we have any speculation on the future MCU stuff? I think we already covered the fan theories a lot earlier. I do have potentially out-of-the-box speculation. I know most of the speculation is going to be about Doctor Strange. We already mentioned Ant-Man and yeah. Captain Marvel 2. Those are, I guess, the three biggest movies that this directly ties to or sets up, mm-hmm. and I feel like those have been mentioned. But the one kind of maybe isn't talked about as much is what exactly is going to happen next with White Vision, since he did fly out in the finale, and we don't know where the hell he's going to go next. I know some people out there want that white vision to reunite with Wanda at some point and so that she can still have some kind of vision. I think we're going to see him next in one of two properties. Either potentially Black Panther 2, actually, just because Shuri was doing something with the vision data in Infinity War in Wakanda, and who knows what's going to go on with that. Or, I think another potentially obvious one that's not really being discussed is, is he going to show up maybe in Armor Wars? Are we going to see something like maybe white vision teaming up with Rhodey or something like that, going against AIM and Hammer and things like that so i feel like where white vision is going to end up next is kind of an interesting thing that i'm not seeing much discussion on and i think if i had to pick one i feel like he might end up in armor wars interesting you heard it here first <laughs> <laughs> there actually is one kind of big question from the show i'm really confused about that i want okay. y'all's take on was i the only guy who was kind of surprised to see that sword was already like up and running and this big thing somehow like before the show started either it was my bad or like maybe i'm you know correct and this was weird i, I thought we were gonna saying. see the beginnings of sword like the founding of sword things like that sword already existed before the blip where the hell they've been doing i'm just kind of confused about the timeline they've been just kind of sitting out in space and waiting for aliens to come to them and since aliens are probably just at higher levels of technology they can evade normal earth surveillance probably yeah but I guess, yeah, to Shiva's point, that kind of raises up a lot of other questions. They've already been active oh, yeah. since, like, Monica Rambeau's been around. That was it back in the 90s then. Where when they went, like, in the first Avengers movie, when aliens came up out of the sky in exactly. a giant piece. Yeah, but that was a portal, Jose. <laughs> There's <laughs> still aliens, was... though. 
<laughs> she that wasn't ships coming into the atmosphere, you guys. They teleported in. Once it's inside the atmosphere, it's shield territory. And once it's outside the atmosphere, that's sword territory. But I guess the sword handled this scenario in WandaVision that was inside Earth, so. Listen, bad retconning yeah. is just bad retconning. Yeah. 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 The way that they set it up made it seem like sword was almost supposed to be overtaking shield's jurisdiction. It didn't really feel like they were different organizations serving different purposes. So I feel like it's entirely possible that they'd existed this whole time, but because half the population blipped away, they were allowed to like further ground themselves or at least take root on Earth, I guess? I don't know. It's a really big question mark, a big detail that was left untouched. And they'll probably pick it back up in Captain Marvel 2, in all right. honesty, if they really need to hash that part out. Yeah, maybe we'll see the origins of S.W.O.R.D. in that movie. Yeah, yeah probably. probably. Hopefully. 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 Well, now that I have a question, what in the world is Nick Fury doing on a spaceship? Is he just having like a little secret Illuminati full of scrolls? Probably. That's his, how he takes his vacation now. He's just like, all right, I'm going to dip for a bit. Yo, Talos, tap in, dog. I'm taking a mini break right here. I ran out of androids, you guys. Can I just have an alien go down to Earth? than be me for a couple weeks that yeah what i just don't understand is how long has it been since they swapped like talos and nick fury that's what i just don't understand yeah. i don't think it's ever clearer actually i would say like post end game fight to wherever we are now timeline wise but. and i think the timeline of these three post end game properties is kind of confusing i think like wandavision is just one to two weeks if not kind of immediately after end game i think far from home is several months after end game and then you know i'm not even sure exactly falcon and winter soldier might be around the same time as six falcon months after six months so after so, more closer to Far From Home then. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I think it's closer to Far From Home timeline. It's interesting that in Far From Home, I mean, I guess it, maybe this will probably be for us in the real world post-COVID or something. Like, they're just going to Europe casually. It's not like a big deal or weird. No one's really talking about the blip except for the very beginning of the movie, I feel like. I think that that's just the benefit of not having anything written out that you can just do what you want and then you're going to have to retcon that later. Probably. Because literally, they're not dealing with the blip other than there's like a couple kids who are just in their class now because everybody aged up five years. But now that we've gotten more details on what's happening during the blip and like more and more people are being affected by it or their actual just consequences for disappearing against your will, like they're going to have to answer those questions and they want to, I guess, answer it outside of that property, probably. Yeah, probably. Also, do you have any speculation at all? Only that it in some way going to set up Doctor Strange or Thor Love and Thunder. I thought they would do it in this show, but you know. There's going to be something that's going to carry over to one or both of these movies so yeah and i just hope that going forward if they do mystery boxes they're a little more careful with how they do them in future properties disney should learn by now from the star wars sequels and then also from game of thrones season eight if you don't have a good payoff for your mystery boxes people will be pissed all right let's do ratings and then we can head over to the final segment so chris what would you rate wandavision 7.5 yeah all right sabrina about the same probably 7.5 jose i'm gonna go with a 7.9 like, not quite an eight, but the Ralph Boner joke really hit me hard. It's like, ah, oh, okay. And a lot of the teasing something big and then nothing happening really, like, brought it down for me. It's like, either just let the show play out. Don't hype it up more than it needs to be. Just let it play out. That's fair. Awesome. I'm going to give it a seven. It was an okay show, but, you know, pretty underwhelming show. Seven. Okay. Shiva? To overall, probably about a 7.5. I am also going to give it a 7.5. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, like Jose said, there were a lot of high highs and definitely a lot of low lows. I think a 7.5 is appropriate. All right, moving on to our final segment and our favorite, Hot Take City. 
Shiva, we're going to let you start off with this one. Okay, dude, this is my hot take. Jose already knows this take. Even if you don't know it's my hot take, you've heard this from me before, Jose. My hot take is the six commercials, like in the six sitcom episodes, there was a commercial in each one of them. My hot take, the commercials correspond to the Infinity Stones. Episode one was the toaster commercial. There was a red light in that toaster commercial, except literally that one red light in the toaster commercial was the only part that was not black and white. The red light, Vision's head is red. So that light means the Mind Stone. Episode two was the Strucker watch. Because it's a watch, that's a time stone. Episode three was Hydra Soak. In the Hydra Soak end, you see a cube floating in the water, in the tub. Cube is a Tesseract, Space Stone. Episode five, the advertisement is Lagos Paper Towels. And the voiceover says, they're to clean up a mess you didn't mean to make. The voiceover also says, husbands can use it too. So obviously in Lagos, Wanda made a mess. She'd like to clean it up. Husbands can use it too is referring to the same exact movie, Civil War. Vision attacks Rhodey on accident. He'd like to clean that up too, I'm sure, because they'd like to change reality. It's a reality stone. Episode six is the Yo Magic commercial. The guy dies when he's trying to open the yogurt. He's willing to die to get the yogurt. So it's a soul stone. Episode seven is the Nexus commercial. This is the same episode when Agatha's magic is revealed. Agatha's magic is purple. Power stone is purple. So that's power stone. There you go. All six stones. That's my hot take. God damn. <laughs> oh man. I actually really like that. Okay, Shuba. I like that. Sabrina? I definitely have not put in that much thought to hot takes, but I do believe conclusions that I would give would be that Hayward deserves death. Agatha deserved a more nuance than she was given. And I think that White Vision is off doing some research. Like, he's just been hit with all this information. You know, he's got all these memories in his head that he now has to contextualize. So he has to do that. Maybe he's discovering his powers. Maybe he's out in California. Who knows? I don't know. West Coast Avengers. That's about it. That's fair. Chris? My only hot take is just that if they do nothing else with Katherine Hahn in the MCU, this is bullshit. Like, that lady can act her ass off and she chose to sign on with this. Like, I don't know. It just feels like a waste of a good talent. Yeah, I was big time disappointed in the finale. She just got revealed in episode seven and all of a sudden by episode nine, she's defeated. Definitely hope she comes yeah, back. Yeah, but like you also have like a big magic movie that's going to involve the main character of this show and like to not do anything with that would be wildly fucked up. And also if Doctor Strange 2 isn't about Wanda diving deep into dark magic and like exploring multiverses in order to find one where she can be with her kids and her family, then I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm just going to really, really, really need it to be a tight story. Sam Raimi is capable of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It is I, actually nice to see him come back to a Marvel movie. Yeah. Jose, what are your hot Yeah, takes? so for me, my hot takes, I think if the MCU is going to start delving in multiverses, I really want them to go all in on those things. For the upcoming Spider-Man one, do not give me Tony McGuire and Andrew Garfield as like Dick Hardcock or like some <laughs> other weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> I want them as their damn characters. You already fucked up with Ralph Boner. Do not do this again. You've learned your lesson, Marvel. Give us all three Peter Parkers swinging together through New York. You're already bringing in Alfred Molina back as Doc Ock, Jamie Foxx as Electro. Let's pay that off. J.K. Simmons is back as well. Yeah, J.K. Hey, Simmons true. back. Yeah, same thing with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. If you're going to go in full multiverse mode, don't have Doctor Strange go to some random ass aliens that we've never met yet. Have him go to like the Fox Fantastic Four movies. Have Chris Evans back as the Human Torch or Jessica Alba pop in. <laughs> have like, 
I don't know, Wesley Snipes show up his blade for a hot second. Go all in with his damn multiverse. Throw in those characters that we've seen. Get fucking Ian McKellen or you can get Hugh Jackman to come back or something. Who knows? Yeah, go Zack Snyder with this shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's my hot take. Just bring them all in. Do not tease us with like, oh, he's going to go multiverse. Yeah. Make it Crisis on Infinite Earths. Have five Supermans in one episode. Halle Berry. Exactly. But with an actual plot, unlike that crossover. And that's my hot take. All right. Got some good takes today. Austin, how about you? My hot take is confirming Jose's hot take that it's going to happen. Andrew Garfield, Tobey Maguire, the whole nine yards is going to be into the Spider-Verse movie. It's going to happen. And every press that is saying otherwise is just trying to distract you. Don't listen to it. Yeah. Austin reaffirming his also end game take. You and Shiva had great takes that episode that seemed to possibly come into fruition. <laughs> it's the sword that I will die on until my last dying breath. With you to the end of the line, pal. Yep. I want to get a Mandalorian type of reaction from you, Austin, when that happens. Yes. I can't just manufacture it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be really, really mad if you just don't tell us how you felt when you see it. Like, if you just don't tell us if you're, like, excited or disappointed after watching the movie, like, that's what I'm saying right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. One thing you all know about me is that I'm not a LOL slay whatever type. I'm screaming. I'm dying. <laughs> type of person i actually can like be level-headed and an adult so that's my next hot take (laughs) (laughs) that's my next hot take you're not screaming you're not dying like chill the fuck out just chill the fuck out all right i'm done with that stuff okay well when i'm alone i do scream when i watch the show and i get excited so I believe that I'm does. screaming, okay. but most people are not. She does. Full disclosure for our listeners, Sabrina's my sister. <laughs> Hello. Thank you. For my hot take, so last year, DC Comics changed from Diamond Comics, who had a de facto monopoly on the distribution of physical comics. Then COVID hit and they stopped all the shipping because people were not sure, you know, whether or not it can be transferred through services and stuff like that. And so because of that, they took the precautions to halt those shipments. And that really ended up affecting comic shops all over the country and quite possibly the world. And so as a result of that, DC Comics actually changed their distributor to another company who I don't know offhand, but Marvel is changing their distributor to Penguin Random House. So they're going with an actual book publisher as opposed to normal Diamond Comics distributor. So I'm very curious how that affects the overall comics industry because Diamond has a long story history with most comic shops and I'm very curious to see how that shakes out you know one of my buddies runs a chain of comic shops down here in Maryland in the DC area and I was chatting with him and he's still trying to figure out how to deal with this in terms of the distribution because now instead of just going through Diamond he has to go through these separate publishers because DC and Marvel are now coming from separate distributors I don't know how that's going to affect the consumption model at all especially as digital comics have become a bit more popular in recent years so I'm curious to see how that plays out I think it might change in the sense that because they're going with more book publishers, they're probably going to do more trade paperbacks in fewer of the magazine single issues. But again, we'll see what actually happens. That's my hot take. I was just going to say, I feel like that might be a good step for Marvel to go with Penguin because I feel like Penguin has a nice amount of uh, flexibility within the industry. And a lot of authors, even like first time publishing authors have 
found themselves pretty comfortable there and with their team. So I feel like on a corporate level, it's probably even more accommodating. So that's a huge win for Penguin, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to account. piggyback off of that, I've seen something very recently where they're in the X-Men comics, like the different titles aren't telling like direct issue to issue linear stories. It's more or less one title is going to tell the story and then it's going to pick up in the next title and the next title and the next title because they're trying to encompass all these characters working in different aspects of the same story and then you go and you mm. buy the tray back and it collects it all together a little bit better so this might be something that this distribution switch might actually help that out a little bit and it goes to your point also brandon of the trade being the more important thing yeah that's fair i think when it comes to single issues yeah. i could be wrong i have to double check on this but i think the single issues sell more digitally than they do physical they might ship a lot i'm actually curious as well how this affects the shipping numbers because i think diamond would just ship a bunch of stuff even if they're not actually purchased by the folks at the actual retailers. I think it was a little dependent on title also. If it's like a miniseries, you have to buy a certain amount. But like if you aren't able to like sell off that amount, then you just have a backstock that you're just waiting yeah. for it to become valuable and then you can sell it off from there. But that give and take is not healthy for a comic book store owner at all. Yeah, it's definitely not. I'm very curious to see how this affects the publishing model and the consumption model. And that brings us to the end of our episode. So before we sign off, I want to get everyone's social media so folks can give a shout out. Sabrina, let's start with you. Where can folks find you on social media? And if you want to give any other plugs as well, please feel free. Yeah, totally. I am currently co-editor and podcast contributor at AP Marvel. You can find us currently. We're on Medium. We're trying to make a switch over to a different platform, but you know, it's all in progress. So you can find us at medium.com slash AP Marvel. And me personally, I am most active on Twitter. I have a couple of hot takes or just enjoy liking and retweeting interesting things about abolitionist movements. So you can find me at Sabs Clark. That's at S-A-B-S-C-L-A-R-K-E. Thank you. And Shiva, how about you? Where can folks find you? My only public social media is Twitter and my handle is Massey for Alum, but it's spelled M-A-S-E-E-H, the number four, A-L-U-M. And I tweet about all sorts of random things, not necessarily just MCU. So it'll just be a bunch of random stuff, to be honest, but feel free to follow me. Thank you, Shiva. Thank you both for being on the show. It was really great to have you both. Great to be here. No, thank you. Thank you. Austin, where can the people find you? So Instagram is ahall, which is A-H-A-L-L 3234. Check it out. Look at my mustache. You can find me on Twitter at A-D-W Austin, which is A-U-S-T-I-N. I also have a TikTok account. I keep meaning to make a TikTok, you know, and then I never do. So you could check that out as well. And finally, I don't have a fan page for Facebook, but we're gonna uh, get you that fan page, man. But someday, someday. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Jose, where can the people find you? People can find me on Twitter at S H one T J A Y L O W S A Y S and on Instagram at JDLA ninety two. All right, and Chris, where can the people find you? Y'all can find me on Twitter and Instagram at C W L K R two zero. Thank you. And for me, you can find me on Twitter at B-C-K-E-S-S-O and on Instagram at L-D Chocolate. And that's our show. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Hello, this is Chris with the Fact Check. S.W.O.R.D. was founded sometime after 1995 by Maria Rambeau, post-Captain Marvel, focusing on manned missions and extraterrestrial operations. 
Shield is more for grounded earthly matters, so there's an argument to be made that Tyler Hayward clearly overreached with the White Vision moves. Whatever Nick Fury and the Skrulls have cooking isn't involved with either organization. WandaVision starts three weeks after the events of Avengers Endgame. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier takes place several months after Endgame. Spider-Man Far From Home is eight months after Endgame's conclusion. Kevin Feige recently confirmed that Agatha would be back in the MCU soon, so start your speculation now. WandaVision was nominated for 23 Emmys including Best Limited or Anthology Series and acting noms for Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Bettany, and Katherine Hahn. The other Elizabeth Olsen-led series focused on a widow partner was Sorry For Your Loss from Facebook Watch. It also featured Kelly Marie Tran and Giovanna Depo and was cancelled after two seasons in 2020. The Captain Marvel sequel is officially titled The Marvels. The next film in the Black Panther series will be called Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Finally, the next Doctor Strange film is titled Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. The Vision comic series from 2015 to 2016 takes place in Fairfax, Virginia and features Vision being a family man with a wife, a set of twins, and the dog Sparky, all of which he creates himself. Later on, his android daughter, Viz Vision, is in the 2016 Champion series that features Kamala Khan, aka Ms. Marvel, Admus Chow as Braun, a successor to the Hulk, and Brooklyn's favorite Spider-Man, Miles Morales. DC Comics distributor for graphic novels is Penguin Random House, while single-issue copies come from UCS Comic Distributors and Lunar Distribution. Marvel does both options through Penguin. Print comic books still sell more than their digital versions. According to a 2021 Publishers Weekly piece, in 2020, about $835 million of sales came from graphic novels. Comic periodical sales, the physical single issues, were at about $285 million, while digital comic sales landed at $160 million. And that's our fact check for today. Thank you for listening. And that's our show. Nerdcraft Nation is a partner of Pub Square Media and is hosted by Austin Hall, Jose Lopez, Brandon Kessley, and Chris Walker. Our theme music was composed by Daniel Ferris. If you'd like to keep up with the show, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerdcraft Nation, like us on Facebook, or subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Be sure to leave a review if you can. If you'd like to send us a voice message, please check our show notes for a link to our voicemail inbox.